Amen. Let's turn together in God's precious word this evening to the New Testament and to 1 Peter and the chapter 5. 1 Peter and the chapter 5. It's a portion that I have read recently, and I believe the Lord led a verse of Scripture here upon my heart for the service this evening. So we want to read the chapter together, 1 Peter, the chapter 5, and we're going to commence at the first verse. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and the witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God wherein ye stand. The church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doth Marcus my son. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. And may the Lord be pleased to add his own blessing to this public reading from his own precious and infallible word. Amen. First Peter and the chapter 5, and we have read the chapter together. And this evening, I would want to use the words from verse 10 by way of a text for tonight. First Peter chapter 5 and the verse 10, and we read, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, 
After that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. And we entitle the message this evening with the very words from verse 10, the God of all grace. And that's what I want you to think about in the meeting this evening, the God of all grace. Let's unite in prayer and ask the Lord for help as we come to the ministry of his word this evening. Our eternal God and our loving Father, we do praise thee for thy presence with us today. And we thank thee, our Father, for the blessings that we have received even in this house and around the open book of God. And we pray that even now thou wouldst come afresh upon each and every heart tonight and grant our Father that those gathered here and those that would listen online might know the still small voice of God speaking to their heart this evening. Do encourage the saints of God and grant our Father if there be any whose heart is not right before thee tonight. O Lord, speak, we pray. Speak with that voice that wakes the dead and cause a people to hear tonight to the glory and praise of thy great name. Amen. The God of all grace. And if we were to ask the question tonight, well, what is grace? Some might give the answer, well, grace is a girl's name. And you would be right in that. I'm sure like me, you know a good number of girls who have the name Grace, and it is a beautiful name. Others, if you ask them the question, what is grace? They may reply that it's the prayer that you pray before a meal. And whenever you sit down before food and you want to give thanks to the Lord, yes, that's referred to as saying grace, grace. There are also financial institutions and they would use the word grace maybe a bank or a building society. And if you have a mortgage or you have a credit card or you have a loan, they might say to you, well, there's a period of grace. And what they mean by that is that there's a period of time that they will give you when you don't have to pay. And they refer to it as a period of grace, but it's not real grace. Because eventually, you do have to pay. And you have to pay with interest. But tonight, when we come to think about grace, our consideration concerns God's grace. And we learn from this text of Scripture that He is the God of all grace. And in asking the question again, what is grace? We could take the letters of that word grace, and I'm sure you would be familiar with the acrostic that you can make with the letters, and it gives a reasonably good definition of grace. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. But we could go further in our definition of grace. And we would say that it is the unmerited, 
and the undeserved favor of God. And there is the God of all grace, and he bestows that grace upon the sinner. And it's free to us. We don't have to pay, but it's not cheap. Because it cost God his only begotten son. It is of infinite value because the Lord Jesus Christ had to die upon that accursed tree and he had to shed every last drop of his blood and he had to lay down his life in death in order that we would know grace. And he's the God of all grace. And thank God tonight for those who have tasted of the riches of his grace. And we would say tonight that that grace is of infinite value. And what it cost God, it's of infinite value because it cost God his only son. And we say tonight that that grace, the grace from the God of all grace, grace is the key to open up the scriptures. Grace is the key to the whole gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is the key that unlocked the truth of the Reformation. It was a rediscovering that salvation is by grace. By grace alone. It's not by works. It's not by our own efforts. Salvation is the gift of God's grace, his free, unmerited, undeserved favor. And it comes to us from the God of all grace. And tonight, as we take that thought, the God of all grace, I want to simply look at a number of verses in the Bible that speak to us about God's grace. Verses that would highlight to us the grace of God and that would show to us the importance of God's grace. The God of all grace. And we say, firstly, tonight, we're saved by grace. We're saved by grace. Over there in Ephesians, whenever the apostle was writing to the church at Ephesus, and he spoke there in Ephesians chapter 2 and in the verse 8, those words that I'm sure we would all know so well, but what a truth it brings before us when the Apostle Paul said, For by grace are ye saved. For by grace are ye saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Do you remember back five or six years ago to 2017, and we were celebrating the 500th anniversary of the great Protestant Reformation. And I'm sure at that time we were all learning off the five solas of the Reformation. Do you remember the sola that was sola gratia? Grace alone. Grace alone. That's the great truth that we're taught here in Ephesians 2 and the verse 8. For by grace are ye saved 
And when we begin to understand the fact that we are sinners and the fact that we are guilty before Almighty God, we have broken God's law and that we face the consequences of a broken law. And therefore that means that we're not only undeserving of God's grace, but we're actually deserving of God's wrath. And yet he's gracious. You see that it's amazing grace. It's wondrous grace. When we think that we were guilty, hell-deserving sinners, and when we see that, then we begin to understand what the grace of God is. It's the grace of God to sinful men and women. And yet many today would still believe and hold on to the falsehood that they could somehow get to heaven by their own efforts and that they could get to heaven by their own good works. But to rely upon your good works to get to heaven is to reject God's offer of grace and also to see tonight the clear teaching of Scripture that we're saved by grace and by grace alone. We were singing at the commencement of our service the words of John Newton's hymn. And when John Newton experienced the grace of God, he could see how sinful he had been in the past involved in the slave trade and living that sinful life. And when he got saved by the grace of God, he could barely take it in that the Lord would save such a wretch as John Newton, and he was amazed at the grace of God. He penned those words that have become so well known right around the world. Amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And in the second verse, he said, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear! The hour I first believed, the precious the amazing grace of God. And you know, whenever we think of it, we meditate upon the grace of God and he is the God of all grace and we're saved by grace and it's by grace alone. But when we meditate upon it, there's times when we think, well, it doesn't seem fair to the natural man, that is. It doesn't seem fair to our way of thinking. It doesn't seem to fit in with man's understanding of things because man will always have his own ideas. Man has his own ideas between good and evil. And when man thinks about the grace of God, he can come to the wrong conclusion that it doesn't seem fair. Take, for example, a thief. And there's one who has stolen, and it's, it's a terrible crime. In fact, we could go further that an individual that was not only a thief, but they were involved in aggravated burglary. 
And they maybe injured their victim as well. In fact, we could go right to the point to say perhaps they even murdered their victim that they had stolen from. But as that thief approaches the end of his life and approaches death, he hears the gospel. He realizes that he's been a sinner. And on hearing the gospel, he repents of his sin. And at the eleventh hour of his life, he gets saved. And to the natural man looking on, it doesn't seem fair. You take another example, take a religious man. One who has followed his religion with great devotion. And one who has been an upstanding member of society. And one who has been held in high esteem. And one who has obeyed the law of the land. And one who thinks that by doing all of that, they're good enough for heaven. And they reject the grace of God. And when they die, they go to hell. They go to hell. Because they've rejected Christ and they've rejected his offer of grace. And to the natural man, that doesn't fit well with their way of thinking. But you know, I didn't just make up that example about the thief and about the religious man. Because they're in the Bible. The thief was the one who was hanging on the cross alongside the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had stolen and he was there on the cross justly. It's quite possible that he did murder his victims. But there on the cross, he realizes the error of his ways and he looks to the Lord Jesus Christ and he cries out for mercy and he said to the Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And the Lord said to him, today shalt thou be with me in paradise in the eleventh hour of his life. And he got saved and went to heaven. And if you were to read in Luke chapter 18, you would read about the religious man. The religious man who was the Pharisee. And he went into the temple and he began to pray to the Lord. And he said, Lord, I thank thee that I am not as other men. The passage tells us that he trusted in himself that he was righteous. And therefore, he rejected God's way of salvation. Rather, the publican who was in the temple too and who smote upon his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. The Lord Jesus said that this man went to his house justified, but the Pharisee didn't. He died. He would have gone to hell. So I didn't make that up. We're saved by grace from the God of all grace. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. But then I want to say, secondly, we're not only saved by grace, but we're sanctified by grace. And this is a point for God's people to know that we're sanctified by the grace of God. And I'm reading from Titus, Paul's letter to Titus in the chapter 2, the verses 11 and 12. And verse 11 says, For the grace of God, and so we're speaking about God's grace again, 
For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. And so the grace of God here that bringeth salvation, Paul said to Titus, the grace of God is a teacher. And what is it teaching us? Verse 12 says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And so the grace of God is described by Paul to Titus as a teacher teaching us. You know what the grace of God teaches the Christian? Teaches the Christian how to live, how to live for the Lord. In a day of darkness, in a day of sin, in a day of great ungodliness, here we have the grace of God who becomes our teacher and teaches us how to live the Christian life. I've said that we're sanctified by grace. The word sanctify is a verb that means to, to make holy or to set apart and that soul that is saved is set apart for the Lord. And we are to live that Christian life to the glory and to the honor of God. And so the work of grace upon the heart will show in the way that we live our lives. And we're to live our lives to the glory of God. And therefore to become a Christian is to undergo that change of heart and that change of life. And the grace of God will teach us how to live that life. By grace. And as that verse 12 and Titus chapter 2 goes on, there's a threefold description there of what the grace of God will teach us in how to live. He said that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And there's a description of the sanctified life of the believer. They're taught by the grace of God to live soberly. We use that word to describe one who is not drunk with alcohol. We would say they're sober. And it can include that in the meaning, but that's not the meaning of it here. The meaning of that word soberly here has to do with self-control. When we are to live soberly, the grace of God teaches us how to live with self-control. And it's to do with the inward life. We're to live soberly. We're to exercise that self-control. And it's not in our own strength. We're taught to do it by the grace of God. And then that word righteously. If soberly has to do with the inward life, then righteously has to do with the outward life. And to live righteously is to do what's right. And the grace of God teaches us how we are to live and how we are to deal with those around us, how we are to conduct ourselves. And God's people are called upon that by the grace of God we live soberly and righteously and then godly. If soberly is inward and righteously is outward, then godly is upward. Our fellowship 
our devotion to the Lord, that Christ-likeness in our lives, that godliness. These are the things that the grace of God teaches us. And every aspect of our lives is to be under the instruction of the God of all grace. That we may not only be saved by grace, but that we would be sanctified by grace. The sanctifying work of God the Holy Spirit in the heart and life of the believer. But one final thought tonight concerning grace. We're saved by grace. We're sanctified by grace. But we're sustained by grace. Sustained by grace. And the verse that I draw to your attention here is in 2 Corinthians and the chapter 12. And it concerns here the Apostle Paul. And the Lord speaking to the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 and the verse 9. And he said unto me. That's the Lord speaking to the Apostle. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for thee. The backstory here to this word from the Lord would be that the Apostle Paul, the great servant of the Lord, he had what he referred to as a thorn in the flesh. And he described it as the messenger of Satan to buffet me. He felt it was an attack from the devil and something that was hindering him. And he prayed to the Lord. It tells us in 2 Corinthians 12 that he prayed to the Lord three times that the Lord would take away that thorn in the flesh. And the Lord's answer to the Apostle Paul's prayer was no. He wouldn't take it away. But the answer from the Lord to Paul was, My grace, the God of all grace, my grace is sufficient for thee. You know what we learn? We learn from that this evening that the Christian cannot get through this life without encountering difficulty without coming into times of suffering and times of sorrow and times of trial. But in the midst of that trial, there's the sustaining grace of God. And that's why the Apostle Peter referred to the Lord as the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After that ye have suffered a while, Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Those of God's people that have gone through great times of trouble, great times of sorrow. John Calvin apparently was one who was consistently ill. Charles Spurgeon, that we often quote, he didn't have a strong constitution. And he had to go at times for a number of weeks and even months to a warmer climate. Campbell Morgan was one who suffered severe headaches. 
God's people who can have hard times and God's people who can experience even heartbreak at times. But there's grace from the God of all grace. And the God of all grace would say to us, as he said to the Apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. And the Lord will sustain you, will uphold you by his grace. And he has promised to do that. He has promised to give us that grace that we need. And then that little epistle of James that actually says, he giveth more grace. And if you feel tonight that you need more grace, the Lord has more grace. God's grace is sufficient to sustain the child of God in every situation. I read a little bit this past week about Annie Johnston. She was born on Christmas Eve in 1866 in New Jersey, America. Just a few years after she was born, her mother died. Her mother died giving birth to her sister. And the mother was just 23 years of age. Her father did his best for them, but the father also took ill. And after a short period of time, the father also died. And there was Annie and her sister. They were orphans. They had lost their parents. A friend tried to help raise the girls, but having a number of children herself, she found it very difficult and it was too much. And so the girls then went to another lady, a local school teacher who took the girls, and her surname was Flint, and she adopted the girls. And so Annie Johnson became known as Annie Johnson Flint. And in that home, it was a Christian home. And the two girls were raised under the influence of the gospel. And at eight years of age, little Annie put her faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and she got gloriously saved. But a short time later, tragedy was to strike again. And the adoptive parents this time, just a few months apart, both of them died. And for the second time, Annie Johnson Flint would lose both parents. Then she herself was to take on well. And because of her ill health, she ended up in a wheelchair. And so when you think of that individual and her life, she had more than her share of troubles, but through it all, she continued to trust in the Lord. She wrote a number of poems that became hymns. And she wrote the words of that hymn, He giveth more grace. He giveth more grace as the burdens grow greater. 
He sendeth more strength ere the labors increase. To added affliction he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials he multiplied peace. He giveth more grace. One who experienced so many struggles in life but could testify of the God of all grace. And I say tonight that's a timeless message that we have God's sustaining grace for every eventuality and for every circumstance that we could ever find ourselves in. But oh, tonight, tonight the Lord is able to grant you grace. Maybe one listening and you're not saved and you need the grace of God in salvation. The verse that we have read tonight or today, behold now, is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. By God's grace, you can be saved tonight. Maybe you need to live that sanctified life, to live soberly, righteously, and godly. God can give you that grace. Grace can teach you how to live the Christian life. Maybe tonight finds you in the midst of a great trial. God can give you his sustaining grace. Praise the Lord tonight for the God of all grace. May the Lord bless his word to each of our hearts. We're going to.